My name is Mary Catherine Blackwood. I am 18 years old, and I live with my sister Constance. I have often thought that with any luck at all, I could have been born a werewolf, because the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length, but I have had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself, and dogs, and noise. I like my sister Constance, and Richard Plantagenet, and Amanita phalloidus, the death cup mushroom. Everyone else in my family is dead. Welcome to Book Blurbs. I'm your host, Kenneth. As promised in the last episode, today we are discussing another Shirley Jackson novel. In fact, the last novel she wrote before her death in 1965. This one is called We Have Always Lived in the Castle. What an opening paragraph, am I right? Leave it to Shirley Jackson to immediately hook you, bring you into the mind of the character, and set the tone moving forward. We Have Always Lived in the Castle was first published in 1962, three years before Jackson's death. Time Magazine named this book one of the top ten novels of 1962, and it was really well received. Uh, but surprisingly, that had a, a negative effect on Shirley Jackson and her health. According to this article titled The Haunted Mind of Shirley Jackson by Zoe Heller in the October 17th, 2016 issue of The New Yorker, um, Zoe writes that shortly after the publication of We Have Always Lived in the Castle in September 1962, Jackson suffered a nervous breakdown and a prolonged bout of acute agoraphobia that prevented her from going outside for over half a year. I have written myself into the house, Jackson said. It took her two years to recover completely, during which time she was unable to write. Toward the end of this period, when she was beginning to recover, she tried to coax herself back into producing fiction by starting a journal. In it, she looked forward to a future in which she would be free from fear and able, finally, to leave her husband, to be separate, to be alone, to stand and walk alone, not to be different and weak and helpless and degraded. This new liberated person, she speculated, would have to find a new subject, a new style for her writing. And this comes from her journal that she was writing at the time. If I am cured and well and oh glorious alive, then my books should be different. Who wants to write about anxiety from a place of safety? Although I suppose I would never be entirely safe since I cannot completely reconstruct my mind, but what conflict is there to write about then? I keep thinking vaguely about husbands and wives, perhaps in suburbia, but I do not really think this is my kind of thing. Perhaps a funny book, a happy book. Plots will come flooding when I get the rubbish cleared away from my mind. Zoe Heller's article in The New Yorker really provides an insightful look into Jackson's mindset following the publication of We Have Always Lived in the Castle. And it's especially insightful to read that journal excerpt uh, written by Jackson that's included in the article. 
Zoe, in her article, mentions uh, Jackson's husband, Stanley Edgar Hyman, and I also talked about him in the previous episode of Book Blurbs, where we looked at The Haunting of Hill House. And it's worth noting here that Jackson's relationship with Hyman was really complicated and almost toxic, kind of like uh, what we talked about last episode with her mother. So with Hyman, uh, Jackson was the main breadwinner for the family. She was more successful, and on top of that, her husband was really unfaithful to her in their relationship. He had plenty of affairs, and he even openly talked to her about all of these affairs he was having. Hyman made Jackson do all of the housework, the cleaning, the shopping, the cooking, etc. And you get the feeling that Hyman, when he did support Jackson and encourage her, he only encouraged her with her writing because he knew she was earning most of the family's money. This relationship with her husband, clearly from her journal writing, has a profound effect on Jackson and really impacts her writing and her themes that she approaches in her writing. And I think you can see that in We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Before we get into the novel itself, you often hear, don't judge a book by its cover. But I've got to say, the cover for this version that I read from, which is the Penguin Classics Deluxe Edition with deckle-edged pages, really nails what kind of story awaits you inside its pages. And beyond that, it's just a beautiful illustration by Thomas Ott. It really draws you in, and it's captivating, just like the writing that's waiting for you uh, when you begin the story. Now, a word of warning if you're reading from this same edition. Do not, I repeat, do not read the introduction by Jonathan Lethem before you read the actual story. It spoils everything, and... You know, you don't want to ruin the surprises and twists that Jackson has waiting for you. Um, so I definitely recommend and I implore you to read the story itself first and then go back and read the introduction because it's a really well-written introduction and it's it makes some really good points and uh, has some pretty interesting analysis. So uh, Jonathan Lethem did a really good job with it, just... I'm kind of puzzled why books do this, and they include these spoiler-filled introductions at the beginning of the story, because naturally you want to start at the beginning, and that's the very thing that begins the book. Um, but you have to skip this one and then come back and read it once you finish the story. With that warning out of the way, what is this book all about? Well, We Have Always Lived in the Castle follows the Blackwood family, specifically 18-year-old Mary Catherine, or Mary Cat, as she's also known. Wonderfully delightful nickname, by the way. And Mary Catherine serves as the book's narrator from the very first paragraph. We also follow her 28-year-old sister, Constance, and their paternal uncle, Julian. Shirley Jackson gives this novel the claustrophobic setting of the Blackwood House, a grand home with extensive grounds that sits in isolation on the periphery of 
what you can safely categorize as a small New England style of village. The villagers revile the Blackwoods, but it's not exactly clear why they despise them so much. It might be because the Blackwoods fenced off and locked away their property to prevent outside access, robbing the villagers of a shortcut on their walk uh, into and out of town. And it might also be because they're just jealous that the Blackwoods own so much land or have so much money. But whatever the case may be, it's the classic Shirley Jackson theme of persecution, of otherness, in the way that the villagers ostracize the Blackwoods. Six years before the novel starts, the Blackwood family suffered an extreme tragedy. One night at dinner, most of the family was poisoned and died very shortly thereafter. Among the deceased were Constance and Mary Cat's parents and brother, as well as Uncle Julian's wife. The poison was found mixed in with the sugar in one of the family's heirlooms, an old sugar bowl. Now I know. Now you know. But a sugar bowl? A sugar bowl. It's hard to believe something so small could cause so much wreckage and devastation. Or the loss of so many lives. That's right, Lemony Snicket. Eat your heart out. It was the sugar bowl. Our three main characters survived because Constance didn't take any sugar. Mary Cat was punished that night and sent up to her room without dinner. And Uncle Julian only used a very minuscule amount of sugar, leaving him paralyzed in body and mind. Constance went to trial for the murders, but she was acquitted of all crimes. Since then, Constance has not left the Blackwood home. In fact, the farthest she ventures is the family garden right outside. She handles all of the cooking and takes care of Mary Cat and Uncle Julian. Uncle Julian, now confined to a wheelchair, is obsessed with that tragic night and seems stuck in the past in that fateful dinner. He makes it his life's work to write a book about the event, and he keeps very careful, meticulous notes when his memory isn't actively failing him. Maricat, for her part, takes on the unenviable responsibility of going into town about twice a week to fetch supplies and groceries, as we see in chapter one of the book. Like I said before, the villagers do not like the Blackwoods, and Mary Catherine does not like them. The villagers are well aware of the fatal poisoning, and they actively taunt Mary Catherine when she comes into the town. Even the village children are in on all of this, constructing songs about the incident. One that they use to tease Mary Cat goes like, Mary Cat, said Connie, would you like a cup of tea? Oh no, said Mary Cat, you'll poison me. Mary Cat, said Connie, would you like to go to sleep? Down in the boneyard ten feet deep? Within the first chapter here, Jackson has already painted a seemingly clear picture of the relationship between the villagers and the Blackwoods. It's also remarkable that her writing skills have elevated a routine trip to pick up groceries into a revealing, captivating setup of the conflict of the story. 
I think it's possible that Jackson drew on her own experiences grocery shopping in North Bennington, where she lived, to write this particular scene because she always felt like her neighbors treated her poorly and didn't like her. So I think it's safe to assume that that definitely influenced how she went about writing the events of this first chapter of the book. Since the Blackwoods don't get along with the villagers, they keep to themselves in their home and only allow one or two of the villagers that they know to come up for tea about an hour once every week. That's it. That about sums up their contact with the outside world, and that's just fine with them. However, an estranged relative who decides to pay them a visit unannounced named Charles threatens to change everything, shaking the family to the core and endangering their way of life. I'll leave you with that cliffhanger as we head into a short break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about our narrator, Mary Catherine. Can we really trust her? Stick around to hear what I think. We'll be right back with more of this episode of Book Blurbs. Welcome back to this episode of Book Blurbs on Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle. The heart of this book is the relationship between Mary Catherine and her older sister, Constance. Jackson described the sisters as, quote, two halves of the same people, which I think reflects the inner turmoil of Jackson. She had the creative, feisty, magical Mary Catherine side on one hand, but on the other hand, she also had the anxious, confined, constant side to her. Let's take a closer look at our narrator, Mary Catherine. From the get-go, it's clear that something is off about her. She tells us quite clearly that she's 18 years old in the second sentence of the book, but I can tell you she certainly doesn't act her age. Is it because she was only 12 when her parents died and therefore... She remains stagnant in her behavior and way of seeing the world. It's hard to say exactly. She creates her own reality and views life through these magical lenses. She believes in spells and curses. Are you seeing any similarities to the real-life self-professed amateur witch Shirley Jackson yet? For example, Maricat buries various personal items and nails things to trees to ward off evil and protect her family. She makes up her own silly rules like she has to stay out of Uncle Julian's room and is very insistent about obeying them, even though Constance assures her that no such rules exist. She constantly talks to Constance about her dream of living on the moon with her and having her all to herself. And she's always just 
approaching and treating life like it's some big game. As you can see in chapter one on page four of my version of the book, where Mary Catherine tells us, I played a game when I did the shopping. I thought about the children's games where the board is marked into little spaces and each player moves according to a throw of the dice. There were always dangers like lose a turn and go back four spaces and return to start and little helps like advance three spaces and take an extra turn. The library was my start and the Black Rock was my goal. So you see there she's viewing the world through as if it's like this board game that she has to uh, run through and get to the finish line of. So it's really interesting that she kind of sees it that way. So it's clear to us that Maricat is not a reliable narrator. And we have to rely, therefore, on characters like Uncle Julian to feed us the backstory of the plot, which, coming from him, can be comedic in delivery thanks to Jackson's writing at times. Then again, though, can we really trust him since Uncle Julian's memory is all over the place after the poisoning? Maybe not, especially if you think about the fact that he believes that Mary Catherine is dead, even when she's standing right in front of him. Is it even possible to get to the bottom of the mysterious Blackwood murder with this cast of characters? I want you to read for yourself and let me know what you think about all of this when you finish the story. On to my rating of this book. Now, my rating scale goes from... Uh, in terms of best to worst, bookshelf, buy, library, spark notes, or pass. And for this book, Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle, I'm going to give it the rating of buy. I think it's well worth the money. Heck, even this cover itself is, I would say, worth the money because it's just so haunting and uh, it's amazing. Um, but you're going to get your pennies worth from uh, Shirley Jackson's writing again and just the content of this story. There's this really deep mystery of the Blackwood family murder um, and there's this, uh, impending threat of this relative Charles that comes to visit. And then there's that kind of hanging, um, conflict with the Blackwoods and the villagers. And, you know, again, with Shirley Jackson's writing, there's plenty of comedy throughout this story to help cut through the heavy air of mystery, and uh, I think a perfect example is on page 25 of my version. And it says, Constance was perfectly composed. She rose and smiled and said she was glad to see them. 
Because Helen Clark was ungraceful by nature, she managed to make the simple act of moving into a room and sitting down a complex ballet for three people. Before Constance had quite finished speaking, Helen Clark jostled Mrs. Wright and sit Mrs. Wright sideways like a careening croquet ball off into the far corner of the room where she sat abruptly and clearly without intention upon a small and uncomfortable chair. Helen Clark made for the sofa where Constance sat, nearly upsetting the tea table, and although there were enough chairs in the room and another sofa, she sat finally uncomfortably close to Constance, who just detested having anyone near her but me. Now, Helen Clark said, spreading, it's good to see you again. I mean, come on, it's just so well written. You can hear me laughing as I'm reading it. It's, it's, her comedy is just as top notch as her, um, you know, eerie, like, uh, kind of uh, horror writing and just the tense kind of buildup that she is able to create in her books. I didn't make this bookshelf worthy um, just because I felt like there was something that it was kind of building up to. And it, it does have like this big uh, climax and then there's even like a surprising twist in the resolution of the novel, but it just didn't quite hit the height that I thought it was going to hit. Um, it's definitely worth your money and it's going to be a great book to share with your friends after you're done reading it. Um, but I don't think it has earned that coveted spot on your bookshelf. And to go further, I'd say it's, you know, similar to the previous book I read on this show, The Haunting of Hill House, also by Shirley Jackson. There's nothing paranormal, really, and we have always lived in the castle, but both books center around an eerie house with a mystery inside of it to solve. It's not necessarily the houses that are haunted in these stories. Rather, it's the characters that are leaving us, leaving the readers with just as much to explore in their minds as the houses these characters inhabit. That's a wrap on this episode of Book Blurbs. I hope you enjoyed hearing about we Have Always Lived in the Castle. I think it's a really approachable book. You know, even though it's a, a modern-day classic, I guess, um, it's very easy to get through. It's under 150 pages, so I think most readers could knock it out in just a couple of days at most, uh, like I did. Uh, and looking into uh, pop culture... This book was actually adapted into a film recently uh, in 2018, and you can now watch that film on Netflix. In fact, I did that the night after finishing this book. Um, the film stars Alexandra Daddario as Constance, uh, Ta Taisa 
I hope I'm saying that right, Farmiga as Mary Cat and Sebastian Stan as Charles. Um, so coming off fresh from this book, um, I thought the movie was pretty faithful to the book um, up until maybe three quarters of the way into it. Then it made some decisions that uh, I just didn't think were necessary and uh, definitely deviated from what happens in the book. Not really affecting the overall story, I'd say, but um, enough that it was really noticeable noticeable for me. Um, and I don't know that I would have made those changes necessarily, but maybe there was some reasoning behind it, and I'd have to kind of read into... Uh, interviews with the director and things like that to find out why. But uh, this has been We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Thanks for listening to this episode of Book Blurbs. Follow me on social media at bookblurbs19 on Facebook and Twitter. Send me an email at bookblurbs19 at gmail.com and go to anchor.fm slash book blurbs to record a voice message that I can use in future episodes. You can talk about a book I reviewed in a previous episode or share your excitement or recommendations for books that are coming out. I'd love to include you and make you a part of the show. Thanks again for listening. My name is Kenneth. I'm your host, and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Book Blurbs.